Hey, welcome to Church Experience Online. We're so happy you joined us today. As you watch this teaching video, if you have any questions or need help getting connected, please don't hesitate to reach out by phone or email. Also, our website is the best place to go if you would like to access helpful growth steps, resources, join a servant team, connect in a life group, get your questions answered, or support this moment financially by giving online. At the end of this teaching video, you'll hear one of our Church Experience Worship original songs, and we hope that gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned. Thanks again for joining us at Church Experience Online. As the pandemic really started taking off and you remember everything just started closing down like real quick. And, and one of the conversations that was happening around that time that was, was really interesting was around essential services. Essential services. And, and there was kind of a debate with it about what is essential and what's not essential. And people who were considered essential services, meaning that their job was crucial. Like, if you shut their job down, it's like big trouble. So, like, we, we got to have people working at the hospital. We, we need to have firefighters, and we need to have police officers. And, and all these kind of different roles are essential services. But then there were some that were kind of on the line. as like, is this essential or is it not essential? And, and some people were talking about, hey, our, our workplace, because we're essential, is going to give us this card that we're going to have to carry in our vehicle and keep with us at all times. Because that gives us permission to leave quarantine, leave our home, and drive to work, and then come back. And so there was this whole conversation, if you remember, about what's essential and what's not essential. And, and as we started having things taken away from us, and we started having some of our freedoms limited so that we could help others, this, this whole conversation of essential became important because the things that we thought were essential in our life, some of those things were taken away, and we realized, wow, that's... That is essential. I need that. And then some things that were taken away were like, okay, I can, I can live without that. Like, like, I remember going to the grocery store by my house, right, as the whole pandemic was taking off. And I remember walking in there and, and looking at the, the meat shelves. And there was, like, no meat. And I was like, what? Like, there's no meat at all? This is crazy. I got six mouths to feed in my house. And there's no meat. I took a picture. I sent it to a few people. I checked this out. Our grocery store is out of meat. And then as you look back on the pandemic, you realize, okay, that's why we didn't have some things. It's because people like me took a picture of it, and we told everybody, hey, there's no food. And then they came and bought everything that was left. So we learned a few things. <laughs> but, but there was no milk one day. And I was like, man, my kids, they wake up and eat cereal. There's no milk. But then I realized over time, like, okay, no meat, no milk. We can survive. We'll just eat other stuff. We'll drink other things. Paper towel was a convenience in our kitchen. We had a little roll of paper towel, and you would use it from time to time. But, you know, no, no paper towel for a while, no problem. It's, it's all right. It's, it seemed essential at the time when we used to use it all the time, but then when it got taken away, it's like, all right, no, no problem. We can survive. But some things that were taken away, we realized, man, that was essential, right? I mean, toilet paper. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. It's like you, you don't realize what you have until it's gone. Somebody just sing a love song right now. It's like, man, you need toilet paper. 
And then, and then you feel weird because you walk into the gas station because the grocery store is sold out and you go into the gas station and you're, you're acting all kind of creepy, like secretive-like as you ask the attendant at the gas station, like, because you don't want to be all weird about it in front of everybody. But, hey, do you have any toilet paper? <laughs> it's like the question you've never asked at the gas station before. But then you were blown away because you realized they did have some over on like aisle four, like on the bottom shelf next to the, the extra gasoline can and the oil. It's like there's a little single roll of toilet paper. Then maybe you grabbed a couple of those that kept you in business for a while. Now I'm thankful we never completely ran out of toilet paper. We came close a couple times. But, but we didn't completely run out. But what we realized and what you probably realize is that sometimes... You had, you had to be okay with the real cheap stuff, the really uncomfortable stuff, all right, TMI, but it's kind of, come on, man, we, we just had to get through it. And some things in this pandemic season we realized were essential, like, yeah, that's important to make life go on, and then some things were not so essential. And I, I'm just having some fun here. But I titled today's message, Essentials, because I want to ask a really important question. What is essential? For, for our life, for, for our life, for, you, for your life, for you to reach your potential in Christ, for the, for the favor of God to rest over your life and for him to be smiling on your life and for you to live your best life in Christ, what's essential for a believer, a follower of Jesus? What is crucial? I mean, if you break down all of God's word and, and you could just categorize things in, into a few simple and clear things for us to do, for, for us to be, what would those essential things be? Because, man, there's a, there's a lot of expectations for us. There's a lot of things that we do that we're engaged and involved in. But, but if you strip it all away, there's certainly, there's certainly some things that are essential and many that are not. So what are those most essential things in your life? Because I think, here's what I think. I think if you and I could figure out what those things are by God's word, if we could figure out what is critical, truly critical, truly essential, I think we would live better. Because we'd have greater clarity, greater vision, we'd have greater purpose. We would know. We would know what God expects of us. So what's essential in your life? Of all the things, of all the things that are going on in your life, what is essential? If you strip away tradition, you strip away other people's expectations, you strip away religion, you strip away all those things at its core, what does God expect of me as his child for me to live the best life in Christ that I can? Well, I would like to look at a passage in the New Testament of the early church as the, the New Testament church was just beginning. Sometimes to go forward, you got to go back. And we're going to go back to the New Testament church. It wasn't a perfect church. You read some of, the, of Paul's letters yeah, in, in the New Testament, and man, there were so many things messed up about the New Testament church. Some people hold it up as this idyllic, perfect standard, and it wasn't. They were imperfect people just like us, and they had problems, and their churches had problems, and there was issues, and you see Paul writing letters to the early church, like, hey, stop doing that, cut that out, that's all messed up, and they weren't perfect, but they're a great model, and you can see as we go back what God expects of us as we move forward, and so in Acts chapter 2, I love just this brief but powerful uh, summary of what the New Testament church looked like, and it wasn't all that they did, but it's a snapshot in time. It's all something that they threw on the gram, the, the New Testament version of the gram. It just got put in here, and here it is in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. 
all the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now what a what a beautiful, beautiful picture. Just a, little, just a little moment, a little frame from the church's beginning. And sure, they had persecution, they had problems, but, but you see the beauty in that of them gathering together and worshiping together and praying together and having community and, and being in God's word together. There's so many just beautiful pieces of that story. And what I would like to do is I would like to go back through this is I see four primary things, and you, and you could maybe say there's six or there's three or whatever, but I, I see four things that to me just, just leap out at me. It's like, man, that's, that's essential. They were doing it 2,000 years ago. We need to be doing that today. If, if I want to reach my full potential in Christ Jesus and, and I, I want to be living out God's calling in my life, these four things have to be a part of my life. And, and so here's what I want to do today. I want to ask actually five questions of these four things. I'm going to give you a, an extra one at the end, but I, I want to ask you five questions today. So I don't just preach. You know, sometimes you hear something, you need to just to hear someone preach something to you and say, hey, this is how it should be. But I think there's other times what I want today to be where it's, it's we hear something, but we bring it home and we say, well, how am I doing in that area? So I'm going to ask these five questions, and I want you to use this for self-reflection. I want you to have an initial answer in your mind as I ask you these questions about what's essential for you. But I also want you to use this maybe later in, in a prayer time or, or as you reflect on your life throughout this year. Maybe you want to put some organization in, in, in your life around these things. But say, hey, how am I doing in these areas? These, these five questions. So the first one comes out of Acts chapter 2 that we just read down in verse 42. Let me highlight a couple things. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Wherever you are, everybody just say teaching. Teaching, that's right. The, the teaching and, and to fellowship, to the breaking of, of bread and, and, and to prayer. And then I want to look down at verse 47. It says that they were praising God and enjoying f- favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So, so God's word was, was being presented. It was being taught. People were interacting with the good news of Jesus, the gospel message of transfer, transformation and salvation and being saved from sin and being formed to be like Christ. Discipleship is a word we'll use sometimes for spiritual growth. You know, they, they were growing. They were changing. People were being saved from their sins. They were coming to believe in Jesus. So so around this knowledge of God and his truth and who he was and this teaching that was happen, happening, lives were being changed. And, and the, the first question I would love for you to write down and to ask of yourself is, do I know and trust God's word enough for it to direct my life? I'm going to explain that, but just, just write it down. Do I know and trust God's word enough for it to direct my life? One of these critical, essential elements that I, that I see in the New Testament church is they, they really rallied around truth. They rallied around God's word, around the gospel, and they said, you know, this is important. We're not just a social club. We're not just here to hear what everyone's opinions are. We want to know what God has to say. And it was delivered through teachers that were called by God, and they would, they would gather together, and they would hear the teaching. They would listen to it. They would talk about it. People were were being transformed and changed by God's word. I mean, they were together collectively 
rallying around truth to the point that it impacted their lives. People were being saved and changed. So here's what's important. Everybody believes something. They do. Even if they choose not to believe in God or they have some other religion that they believe in or whatever, everybody believes in something. But what I think is essential from what I can see in the Bible for us is not just to believe in something, but that we have a faith in someone, that Jesus is the center of my life and that his word, that God's word is the foundation that I build my belief system on. Because see, the Bible teaches us that that just generically believing in God is not even enough. Everyone says, well, I, I believe something. I believe in God, or I, I, I don't believe for this reason. I have some kind of belief. But James chapter 2, verse 19, it, it tells us. It says, you, it says, you believe that there is one God. Good. That's, that's good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So it's, it's good that you believe that there's a God. And some people think, well, I have a relationship with God. I I believe he's there. I I believe there's a God. I I pray every once in a while. But it tells us that that's not enough. The devil believes that there's a God. He's seen him. He's talked to him. He knows he's real, but he's not following God. And there's a huge difference between knowing about truth and knowing Jesus personally, knowing his truth so much that that it changes us. And believing in our, in our life that, that God's word is, is, like we talked about recently, the compass. It's the road map. And, and then we surrender to God and we say, God, here's all my life. I believe in your teaching. Your teaching is what makes my decisions. It's what guides me. And, and I have to daily spend time with God, with him, and in his word if I want his word to really direct my life. So what's essential? Here's, here's how, another way I'd rephrase that question. How's your daily time alone with God? That's essential. If you're not spending daily time alone with God and in his word, the the chances that you will at some point start to move away and drift away in your faith are very high. How's my daily time alone with God? One person said, nothing that does not occur daily will ever dominate my life. So God's word is so essential, it needs to be a daily part of my routine, not a weekly part of my worship alone. I think that's important that we worship weekly, we gather together, even now in this season online. But it's a daily thing where I, I, I get together with my father. So how, how am I doing in that? It's, 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 so, it's so critical. It's like when you go to the doctor's office and maybe you go to the hospital and they, they, they check your vitals. They, they want to know how, how you're doing. They want to know the, the, the core measurements of how your body is actually functioning. And, and, and the vitals for us spiritually, it's that daily connection with that Father, that, those times of prayer, those times of hearing from God and his word, it's, it's this connection with him that directs our life, with his word, with his teaching. So do I know and trust God's word enough that it's directing my life today? That's the question we need to wrestle with. Well, what else is essential? Let's, let's go back to this, this snapshot of the New Testament church. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. To prayer. Again, down in verse 47, it says, They were praising God. They were praising God. So they, they were praying together and they were praising together. They were worshiping God together. You know, people will always 
gather to worship. Believers will always gather together and worship. We always have and we always will. It's going to look different in different seasons like it does now. And it's going to change from time to time. But we know that in heaven, it says the angels gather in joyful assembly to worship God. It's something that's always been a part of our faith. We know it's, it's to come. It's meant to be a part of our life that we gather together. So if you've had that passing thought, well, maybe we could just, we'll just do church online forever. And I'll just sit at home in my PJs. And I don't, I don't really need to be around other people. What I would say to you is it doesn't seem like that's what God's people have always done or the, what we will be doing long term. It's, it's great right now that we have this ability to do it. And I can't wait personally for July 12 until we can get back and worship together in person. We made that announcement last week. I'm so excited. But let's just talk about it for a moment. This is an essential part of our lives as believers is that we gather together in worship. But it's so much bigger than just gathering together and worshiping this one God as we're in one room together. No, it's, it's, it's bigger than that. It's, it's how we live our lives before him. Our, our worship, our, our prayers, our praise, our connection with him, this, this glorifying God from our life, this worship, it's so essential. It's so essential. And, and it's not an issue of, as we've talked about before, it's not an issue of, of will I worship. Because you will worship. Everybody worships something. It's really just a matter of, of who you worship and how you worship them. Let me describe it this way. Jennifer, uh, I, I know, we, we've been together for 19 years, and I know that she loves me. This, this month, we're celebrating 19 years. We're going to have later this month our 19-year anniversary. And, and I know that she loves me. And you say, well, how do you know that she loves you? Well, one is, you know, 19 plus three years of dating. We've been together 22 years, have four kids together. Like, I, I know she's she, she stuck with me, so I know that she loves me. But it's not just that. I, I know she loves me because I can go back to when we were 18, 19, 20 years old. We're, going, we're in college together. We're dating. I know she loves me because she, she chose to date me even though I drive the, the ugliest, most messed up car that you, that you would ever see on campus. I mean, I just had this old beater car. I got it real cheap, and I was happy about the deal I got. I, I literally think I got it for like 100 bucks. I mean, it was on his, it was on his last miles. But I was like, I'll, I'll drive that thing. And, and I was a student pastor at the time, and I, and I kind of liked having that vehicle because the, the muffler, it was, it was all rusted out. The, the, whole, the whole system was rusted out. And because it was rusted out, it made this really loud race car-like sound. And all my students thought it was awesome because, man, I'd, I'd hit the gas, and this thing, boom, it would just light up. And so I, I loved that. But she chose to date me even though I was driving this vehicle, so I know she really loves me. I'm having fun, but, you know, this, this, this season of, of driving that vehicle and driving this, this vehicle that I didn't know if it was going to ever make it, you know, I, I did, there was moments where you see someone pull up in a nicer vehicle, and you're like, man, that would be really nice to drive that vehicle. And, and, and I was talking to a friend the other day, and we were talking about cars came up. And he said something really in, insightful. He said, you, you know those, those junkyards where they, they smash up the old vehicles, like, like the vehicle I used to have, when it, when it's, once it's done, you, you sell it to a junkyard, and they smash them up into these little cubes. And he goes, what's interesting is each and every one of those cubes that's all smashed up is just junk metal. He says every one of those used to be somebody's lust. Like somebody was willing to give their paycheck for that. Someone was willing to take a huge risk financially to purchase that vehicle. They, they wanted it so bad. They looked at it and said, man, I love that color. I love that vehicle. I want that. And, and maybe lust is a strong word, but they, they desired it. They want I mean, just, just go with me here. They, they looked at it and they said, I'll pay the price for this new vehicle. Someone bought it new. And they looked at it and said, that's worth that price tag. Man, that thing is so good. I want to drive that. 
And now look at it. It's, it's just a, a cube of crushed metal. And you will worship something in this life. Everybody lives for worship. Entertainment, pleasure, accomplishment, success, comfort. But listen, the, the, the things that we worship in this world, it's going to end up crushed metal. Although it looks appealing and beautiful and amazing now, think about it. It's not worth giving your life to. It's not worth giving all your worship to. It's, it's just it's created things that will, over time, fade and rust and break down. You'll be forgotten about. The only one in this life that's worthy of all my worship, the only one that's worthy of all your worship is Jesus. The one who gave his life so you could have life. The one who hung on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins so that you can be adopted into the family of God, not based on what you do, but based on what he did when he hung on the cross. His life-giving sacrifice made it possible for you to be forgiven and loved and changed. He is the only one worthy of all your heart's worship, all your mind's attention. There's nothing greater than him. There's no one greater than him. And so if you're living, whether you realize it or not, for anything, other than Jesus at your core. You're living for scrap metal. It might be a good thing, but it's not, a, it's not an ultimate thing. It's not worthy of your life's worship. So my question I want you to write down here is, does Jesus have all my worship? It's more than singing. It's more than gathering together, but, but write it down. Does Jesus have all my worship? That's essential. What's essential? It, it's, it's that worship of Jesus, living for him with all my heart with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength? Does Jesus right now in this moment, does he have all your worship? Or has something in this world become greater? Without you realizing it's crept in and, and you've started to give your first thoughts every day to that and it's what you dream about as you drift off at sleep at night. It's what you, consumes your energy and your time and your finances. What has your worship? If it's anything less than Jesus, I'm telling you, scrap metal. It is not worth your life. What's essential? Worship. Worship. Let's go back to Acts chapter 2 again. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Again, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to, and, and to fellowship. To fellowship, verse 44. It says, all, all the believers were together. They were together and had everything in common. So they, they, they were together, united. We talked last week about the importance of living united, valuing others, whether they, they, they look different than us, they believe different than us, they act different than us. The, the, those who believe in Christ, we are one in him. We talked about that last week. I hope you caught that. If not, go back and, and get the beginning of that message especially. But here it says that they had everything in common. And then look, look at verse 46. Every day, every day, they continued to meet together, together. They, they met together in the temple courts. They met together in their homes. There was relationships happening. Their, their corporate, collective gatherings, their worship together, and then their, their, their private, smaller, more intimate gatherings in the homes. Like they, they worshiped together. They were united. They spent time together. So good. And, you know, I think if there's anything we've learned in this COVID season is that, man, we are not meant, <laughs> we are not meant for long-term, complete isolation. We certainly need moments of solitude. And for a lot of people, the first few weeks of the whole coronavirus thing, it was like, well, you know what? I kind of needed a little break anyway. So it's okay. I'll, I'll just kind of quarantine at home and watch a few extra movies or, you know, spend a little more time with my family. And, and there were some people saying, man, you know, this is not too bad. 
But man, we got a couple few months into this thing and there's people getting into dark places because it creeps up on you. When, when you isolate yourself, you, you don't realize it until it's too late that, you're, that, that there's something off when you're not in a relationship. You need to be around people. Part of what makes, allows you to stay healthy is that you're in community, that you're around other people and you're interacting with others. It's how you live out all the one another's of the Bible. Pray for one another, serve one another, love one another. You can't do that by yourself. And you, you really easily drift very easily and very quickly in, into a dark place over time. And it, and it can happen suddenly. You isolate for a couple few months and then all of a sudden you realize, wow, how did, I, how did things get here? That's because you were isolated. You didn't have those, that community around you, that, that, that special community. And, and I think this is especially dangerous, not during just this coronavirus season, but I think it's especially dangerous here in the 21st century because, man, you can isolate. You can isolate without realizing it. You can have a lot of pseudo-relationships. You know, we got social media, and so we're always like, kind of pinging each other and connecting with each other and liking each other with things. And it's like there's relationships behind that, and there's, there's relationships there, but you're not face-to-face. You're not really interacting. You're just like little snapshots you're seeing of each other's life. It's, it's different. And, you know, you can have someone deliver food to your door. You can get your education online. You can work at home now. I mean, there's so many things that you, I mean, you don't really have to leave your home. And, and the real challenge is, is that we are made, we are meant to be, we are meant to be together. There's something special. I, I know it's not the season to go up and hug people right now, but, but we're, we're made to high-five each other. We're made to hug each other. We're, we're, made to, we're made to pray together. We're made to share meals together and look at each other in the eyes, not through a screen. And that's fine, and that's good, and I celebrate that. So thankful that the technology that we have. But man, that's something different when you're looking at somebody in the eyes, and you can just, you're right there together. You can put a hand on a shoulder. You can shake somebody's hand. And I think we'll get those days back eventually. I, I think eventually that'll come. We're kind of in that low-touch, no-touch season. It's all good. But, but what I'm saying is we're made to connect person to person. We're, we're made for that. We're created for community. And I, I, for one, can't wait till July 12. Maybe, maybe we'll only be doing fist bumps or something. We don't know yet. We're going to wait till it gets closer. We, we won't probably be full on yet. But, but I'm just happy to be in the same room. I, I miss you guys. I miss seeing our church family. But the danger is that we isolate ourselves and we don't realize that, that we're made to connect deeply. And loneliness can be a great enemy to the purpose of God in your life. And, and some people can drift, drift from loneliness to discouragement and self-centeredness and purposelessness. And so my question I want to leave you on with this before we go on to the, the fourth and final essential element. Is, is Here it is. Am I connecting deeply with other Jesus followers? Are you? I mean, right now, who, who are those people? Someone told me the other day, I don't really have any good friends. I was so sad to hear that. Maybe that's true where you're at right now. Who, who are you deeply connecting with that's a, that's a believer? Now, you should have friendships with people who don't know Jesus yet, to love on them and also to teach them about Jesus, to point them to truth. But you need to have some believers in your life that love you and love Jesus and love Jesus enough to love you through the hard times and to, to point out things in your life when, when they start to drift away from him, to, to help encourage you, advise you, pray for you. You need that connection with other believers that the New Testament church modeled and exemplified. You need that. So, so maybe you're good on this, but I know many are not. Are you deeply connecting with other believers? Are you? Let's go on to this, this fourth essential element that I see here in this passage about the New Testament church. Acts 2, chapter verse, uh, verse 42 says, they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
And then I want to jump down to verse 45. It says they sold their, their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. Uh, let, me, let me just stop there for a moment. So, so they, they were devoted. I, I saw that word in there. It says that they were devoted. It says that they gathered, which obviously took effort to gather together. It's a lot easier just to stay home. But they, they took the effort to show up, to gather together. It says they gave to each other. They gave to each other, so they made sacrifices. They served. They were serving as they gathered together, and people were being saved, and they were, they were teaching each other, and they were sharpening each other and having conversations with each other. So, so what I see in this is a great purpose. I see a mission. I see evangelism happening, reaching out to people who don't know Jesus and bringing them into God's church, building his kingdom, building his church in and over people's lives. I see, I see people living for something bigger than themselves and their own glory. They're living for God's glory and building God's church. And, and as we've talked about before, if, you, if you're not serving others, if you're not serving God, there's only one other choice. You're serving yourself. And we are not meant, we are not created just to serve ourselves. That is a downward, dark death spiral that leads to a very lonely, very dark, very isolated and selfish place. You're not made just to serve yourself. And some people, they center their whole lives around what's in it for me. What's best for me? What do, what do I want to do? What am I comfortable with? But when you flip that out to others and you say, well, well God, I'm living for you because I'm living for others. God, I, I want to please you and I, I want to serve others. We just flip the focus instead of on self. If you flip it out, man, it just, it totally transforms. Inside your life and in your mind and in your heart, it becomes so much healthier. You got to take care of yourself. There's things that you like to do in this. God smiles on that. But, but when your whole life is about what you want to do, and you're just missing God's purpose for you. And here I see that they had a great purpose that was beyond them. We've often said about our spiritual life, if you're not serving, you're probably swerving. You're probably swerving, of course, spiritually, because you're just living for comfort. You're living for yourself. But when you, when you find a mission, you say, God, I want to help build your church. I want to help build your kingdom, which is other people. I want to build other people and point people to Jesus. Not even just to make their lives better. I think that's a good thing. But I want to help people find and follow Jesus because if I just make their life on earth better and then they die and they go to hell separated from a loving God for all of eternity, I haven't really given them any gift. I've just given them temporary relief from their pain or their problem in this life. Now, sometimes you can help people with their current problem and point them to their deeper uh, spiritual problem. I was talking to a friend the other day who does not go to our church, and he had gone through a recovery program, but he was kind of drifting back into his past bad patterns. And I was talking to him about the importance of getting back in recovery, but also as he was trying to figure out how I, I kind of put a Band-Aid over my problem, but I, I never really changed. I said, there's actually a deeper soul level that only Jesus can touch, and, and your recovery group is going to help you fix the actual actions in your life, but what caused those actions in the first place. Why did you go down that road? There's something broken inside. There's this thing called sin, this self-centeredness inside of us. And, and Jesus came to put that to death, to, to heal you, transform you, bring life, a resurrection inside of you so that you can really live in here. And what I would say to you is that man, God has created you to help your friends, your family, the people around you that you work with and live next to, to find faith in this life-giving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they can actually be forgiven and free permanently, forever, apart, adopted into this great family of God that we have. Are you living your life for a purpose like that that matters? That's essential. 
We're talking about what's essential. That's essential. You're made to live for a purpose like that. Some of you bounce from network marketing scheme to the next hobby to the, the next project in your life, and, and you have this pattern of your life. Maybe it's relationship to relationship. You've you're got this restless soul because you're always looking for that next thing that's going to satisfy you. And, and here's what I would like to tell you from God's word. You were made for something more. The pleasures, the entertainment, and the attention of this world is never going to be enough to feed what's in here. God has made you for that relationship with him we talked about. <laughs> to be engaged in worship and prayer with God. To be in community with others. But then listen also, this fourth essential thing. To be on a mission that really matters for eternity. That changes people's lives and souls. If you're not giving your best efforts and energy to that, you're not going to be fully fulfilled. Because you were made for more. You were made for more. The question I have for you on this is, am I making sacrifices so I can serve God and others? Am I making sacrifices so I can serve God and others? Are you? You know, we've kind of been in a renovation here during this pandemic season, and so our family's been at the church a lot, and there's been some of the others uh, in the church who've come around to, and, and more so even lately, more have been coming by and say, hey, I want to help, I want to paint, I want to fix up, I want to get things cleaned up, ready to go for our, our, our future services, and, and it's been great to start to see some people again as that's been happening, but but it's reminded me of a little over a year ago when we were renovating our, here at our Dunedin Central Campus, we were renovating the, the auditorium building. And so many of us, dozens of us, had spent so many late nights here and early mornings and, and painting and fixing and repairing and cleaning. I mean, it was just, it was an intense project on a tight timeline, and, and it was fun. We had a great time. But then there came a point where it was like we had the timeline, we're going to have a service, we got to get this stuff done. And, and so there were some late-nighters that turned into even a couple all-nighters. And, and, and one time I remember we had this back-to-back -back nights where our family was just, it was late nights turning into all nights. And, and, and there was one night I remember grinding around the, the urinals in the bathroom. And a lot of the people had helped, but, you know, you get down to it, like, I just got to get this done. And it was grinding the, the concrete around the toilets in the bathroom. I remember that. Jennifer remembers that season. It was like her birthday. We are here like a late night. Just, we, just had to, we just had to get it done. And we we're, we're it done. But, but our kids, they, they loved it. It was like a, like a big all-nighter all to them, right? And so we were here late, and, and they got tired, and so they needed to find a place to sleep. And so we got these fun pictures in our family of the kids finding places around the auditorium where they would find these little creative places to sleep. <laughs> it's just it's so funny to watch these pictures. But, but you know what? That was, that was a season where we made some sacrifices in our time and our efforts because we knew what was behind it. It was a greater purpose. But what we've always taught in, about in our family and in our church family is it's, 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 not a, it's not a have to. It's a get to. I, I get to make sacrifices, and really my sacrifices are not really sacrifices, are they? Your, your sacrifices for God are not really a sacrifice compared to the great sacrifice that Jesus gave. He's our motivation. He gave his life, and if he gave his life for us, for us to give up some extra time or some sacrifice some comfort so we can give more resources to build God's kingdom, or we give our, our, our efforts to help someone in need or to pray and, and give extra attention to something in, in God's kingdom, his church. Listen, that's not really a sacrifice. That's a get-to. Man, God's done so much for me. It's not, I don't have to do this. It's, I get to do this. I get to do this. Am I making sacrifices? That's what they did in the New Testament church. It's an essential part of life to serve others, to live outward, not inward. Well, I want to close by this referencing Matthew chapter 22. In Matthew chapter 22, there was this conversation Jesus had, and, and he was asked, basically, you know, what is essential? Of all the commandments in, in, in the Bible, of, of all the things that are in 
in God's word, what is most essential? What's the greatest commandment? And do you know what he said? He said two things. I'd imagine you know them well if you're a follower of Christ and you've been reading his word. It's just simple. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That was the first and greatest commandment. He said the second one is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. It's to love God and to to love people. That's, That's what's truly essential. We've talked about these four things, and I've tried to make it as simple and as clear as I can. Throughout the whole of the Bible, I see these four things, but really, it it gets even more simple than that. Jesus said what it really comes down to is one thing. It's love. Loving God with everything you've got and loving people around you. That's what's essential. We're talking about what's essential. That's essential. More than anything else, and I put it this way in your teaching notes, it's just a final question for reflection for your life. Am I loving God and loving people with everything I've got? So are you? Let me close this way. I, I, I miss, I'm, I'm craving a date night with my wife. Because, you know, we went through this season where, you know, we couldn't really go out to restaurants. And then and we're still kind of in this season. You know, the restaurants are opening up, but it's like babysitters. I mean, do you do that? Do you invite someone over to your home? And do they even want to come over and watch other people? But, but I, I miss so many things about a date night. Like for me, a, a, a date night, which we, we enjoy from time to time. We, just, we love our kids, but to get a babysitter, that's, that's essential, it seems like, for a date night because then it's just the two of us. We love having the kids there, but we just need some time where it's just the two of us to look each other in the eye with no distractions, just to talk. Some of the other things that to me are an essential part of a date night, you know, I love to, to go out and, and if Jen's like, hey, where do you want to eat at? If we're going to go out to eat, I want to look at the water. I mean, I, I like the food is great. You know, sauce is kind of important just as much as the food is for me. I want to have some good sauce on my food. But, but I, just, I want to look at the water. If I can sit on the water, that's, that's important to me. That conversation together, that's a really important part of the date night. Uh, when we're out having an adventure together, we're exploring together, we're maybe going to a new place together. I mean, I just love talking to Jen, and we're, we're sitting there eating together. We were holding hands, walking along the beach or walking down a street we haven't walked down before. I mean, it just I love exploring with that girl. I love talking to her. But, but what's essential for a date night? What's essential? There's actually only one thing if you think about it. It's kind of funny. There's actually only one part of all the things that might make up a date night. The babysitter's important, but that's not even the most essential thing. The food is that's great, but it's not the most essential thing. Sitting in a cool place, maybe looking out the water, that's awesome. But there's only one thing for me that's essential for me to go on a date night. And that's Jennifer. <laughs> that's Jennifer. I mean, just imagine what it would be like for me just to sit in there at, at a booth by myself, eating a great meal. That's an awesome view. And I'm having this conversation with myself, and the kids are at home with the babysitter. But there's no Jen. <laughs> that is not a date night for me. <laughs> there's, there's, there's one thing. I mean, if, if, if her and I could just sneak away to a quiet part of the house, I mean, that can be a date night. If we can go on a walk around the neighborhood, She's the only thing I really need to have a date night. You see where I'm going with this? It's the relationship that's most important. If you break down everything in your life, even your spiritual life, there's one thing. There's one thing. If you take away and strip away all else, there's one thing that's so important. Don't mess this up. It's not religion. It's not all the trappings that come with it. It's, it's not all the activities that you do. It's, it's, it's not any of those things. The most essential thing is a loving relationship with your heavenly father through his son, Jesus Christ. And if you get that right and you get everything else wrong, it's going to be okay. If you love God and you love others because you love God, it's going to be okay. When life gets complicated, when it gets crazy, you just come back home to that. Hey, Jesus said, there's, there's one thing i got to get right. 
love God. And because I love God, I'm going to love other people. If I just get love right, it's going to be okay. So what really is essential in our life is to be a loving person, to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Right on? Right on. Let's pray. Hey, Father, thank you so much that you first loved us while we were in sin, while we were rebelling against you and turning our backs on you. God, you, you gave of your own son. You loved us so much that you gave of your own son to die on a cross for our sin that we could be forgiven and made right with you as we bow our knee to you and we bow our heart to you and we, we ask for your forgiveness. You receive us and you accept us. What grace, what mercy, what love. You first loved us. And as I'm praying, if there's anyone here who's never received that love personally, you can do that right now by saying, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. Be my leader. Be my God. Be my Lord, my Savior. I receive you into my life right now. You can do that right now. And you can be forever changed. Father, I thank you so much that you have so many of us that are hearing this message today. We, we have, we've made that step where we've surrendered our life to you and we've been forgiven. And we just, sometimes we, we overcomplicate things. We admit today, God, in this conversation that, man, there's so many things that we can just mix into our life and add into our life and commitments that we make and expectations and dreams that we have and goals that we pursue and all these aspects of our life. And many of them are good. But God, we just we admit to you today that sometimes we make it so complicated we can forget really the most important thing. Am I really loving you, Father? Do I really love you with all my heart? Do I really wake up fully giving you my worship? Am I connected in your family and serving others? Am I doing it all for your glory, God? Am I worshiping you? God, I never want to lose sight of that. Love you with all my heart, and, and I want to love others. So God, I pray that there would be a husband somewhere here that might be listening today and just asking him that, that, himself that question, am I really loving my wife? Am I really loving my kids, the parent? I, I pray that there's a mother there that's listening to this message and say, am I, am, I just, am I just going through the motions or am I really loving the people around me? God, help us to love with the same love that you extend to us, a love that's filled with grace when people let us down, a love that's full of forgiveness, a love that, that, that serves and makes sacrifices because of our love. A love that puts others first. May we be a loving church, a loving community. May we love people even when they disagree with us. Even, when, even, even God, when people, uh, they don't think the same way we think. May we, may we love them with the same way that you loved us. And God, may that love transform and change our lives. We love you so much today. We thank you for who you are and what you mean to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us at Church Experience Online. Please don't forget to check out the website if you'd like to get more connected, learn more, get your questions answered, or support this movement financially. You're now going to hear our Church Experience Worship Original Song, and we hope this gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned today.